0: Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. The words for our call to worship this morning come from the Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti, who writes, Between rocking the boat and sitting down, between stirring things up and peaceably going along, we find ourselves here in community, each called from many different journeys, many different life paths onto this river road. Some are here because the rocking of the boat has been too much, too much tumult, too much uncertainty, too much pain. Some are here with questions about where the boat is going, how best to steer it, where the journey ends. Others are here as lovers of the journey, lovers of life itself, here in front, beside, behind, each a passenger, each a captain, doing the best we can. Rest here in your boat with me, the river calls. Listen to how I flow, the sound of life coursing all around you. Let the current hold you. Let the current guide you. The river that gently flows through your soul whispers, come, let us worship.
1: Okay, will everybody under 30 come to the front of the church, please? Seriously. Everybody under 30. Everybody under 30. All right, great. All of you, just have a seat. Have a seat. That's right, look at this. This is great. Under 30. Wait, let me check your ID, how old are you? Okay, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right. Good, 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 good. Okay, you under 30 year olds. Arif, will you stand over here? I'm supposed to tell a wisdom story, but I couldn't find one. I just made it up when they were asking for the order of service. I made a thing up about, what's that thing about the tree ring dating called what? Anybody know Dendra? Dendra Dendrochronology, very good. Let's give them a shout out for the under 30 knowing the vocabulary word. All right. Those are SAT words. I remember those. Okay. So um, I was going to tell a story about how, you know, we can look at tree rings and figure out all this stuff. And I said, you know what? I'd better show it and make it more exciting. So um, I have a person here who's lived a long time. 43 years right 43 yeah 43 years and he's looking good still doesn't he he looks very good handsome man but um i bet if we wrap this around him
0: you hold on to the
1: microphone all right and i'm just going to wrap this around <laughs> I'm going to tie a a little, and I want you people under 30 to think for a second. <laughs>
0: to
1: the story. Different rings on this crazy tree ring that I'm making about his life. Now down here he's probably about five. Did you get in trouble?
0: <laughs> 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 All right. So we're not recording this, right? I, I did sometimes get in trouble. Um, more, what I did is I would get my little brother in trouble. <laughs> I was actually really, really good at getting my little brother in trouble. I cannot give you any tips. <laughs> I cannot share my secrets.
1: Okay, now, now right about here, if, we, if he were a tree, and he were tree rings here, he's about 10 years old, right about here. Anybody that's around 10 want to know what he was, ask him a question? Anybody, anybody. You can, don't have to be 10. Does anybody have a question for him, what he was like when he was 10? Anybody, anybody, anybody. What did you want to be when you grew up?
0: When I was 10. I got to think about that one for a moment. You know, I don't know that I knew exactly who who asked me that question. I gotta. Hi, how you doing? I would move forward and look at you, but I'm a little tied up at the moment. So, yeah, sorry, couldn't help it. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know that I knew exactly what I wanted to be. I I knew. So I came from a family of organizers, activists, people who worked for justice. So I knew that whatever it was that I did, I would be doing something related to increasing justice in the world. But at 10, I wasn't really sure exactly what that would be. I thought maybe I wanted to be a teacher, but I wasn't sure.
1: Okay, now, Right about here, he's about 15, okay? Ugh, nobody likes that age. But how many of you here, anybody here 15? Close to it, all of them are home sleeping, okay. Somebody else ask a question about a reef at fifteen. What do you want to know about his tree ring here around that time? What do you want to know about him? Did you get
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) I guess we're not going to get too many details. What about here? He's about about thirty right here. What do you want to know about his life then? Anybody? Some of you under thirties, tell me. What do you want to know? Good life lesson between 21 and 30.
0: Got to think about that one for a minute. Um, Good life lesson between 21 and 30. I think in some ways it's a lesson that I'm still trying to learn, which is to listen better to what's true for me and not what I think other people want for me.
1: On that note, we will stop and not go much further, but I want to give you a little bit of advice. Go home, look in the basement, look in the garage, look in the shed, find some rope, okay? All of you under 30, tie when they're sleeping or dozing in their chair, tie your parents up and start asking them questions about their life. They won't be able to run away And you can get into some deep and wonderful conversations, okay? Is it a deal? Deal? Deal. All right. (laughs) Go ahead, you can go now. (laughs) And Arif, hopefully you can get out of there. Okay, very good. we reach a year that ends with the number nine topical decade-in-review links fill our email boxes and our news feeds. This impulse to look back is a compelling pastime that begs us to pay attention no matter how ridiculous the list is. Now, let's not deny it. (laughs) Many of us Seriously, we sit on our toilets with our phones and we consider the top 10 cat videos from 2019. We do it. The top 10 memes, the top 20 fashion trends, the best of everything, the most important medical breakthroughs, and the critical economic and social moments of the decade. All of these lists are competing for our attention this week as as we march with excitement and trepidation towards the third decade of the 21st century. Now, depending on the lists we are reading, this decade in review exercise can bring a jubilant smile to our faces or a frown of despair. Even when we read these lists, we say things like, yeah, that happened. Yes, I did that. Or, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, I remember that from 2015. But after that recognition, what impact does this consumption of a decade's highlight reels have on our decisions about the future year and the future decade. So much has happened this decade. I don't know about you, but a month can feel like a year, or maybe even a week sometimes. And it's hard to say anymore, because particularly these past three years have come and gone at a dizzying pace. And the true milestones of this past decade have very long arcs for our present and for our future. Think about it. We took our first Uber ride this decade. We shared foodie porn on Instagram. We started talking about systematic inequality and used the new term cancel culture, which I just love, cancel culture, to get rid of some objectionably, objectively powerful, horrible, terrible men, thanks to the Me Too movement. That deserves a little shout out. (laughs) Cancel them, we canceled them. True milestones, science has made it clear and a worldwide youth movement has made it even clearer that we have a small window to save our planet from ecological catastrophe. It was also a decade of disappointments. Too many white folks were eager to protect their supreme status in a new sport that they created. It's called If you see a black person eating, working, sleeping, cooking, gardening, shopping, driving, vacationing, call the police. (laughs) Barking. (laughs) Yes, there were disappointments. Thanks to the seemingly narcotic grip of social media, we stood idly by as disinformation ushered in mistrust of medicine and trust of cruel strongmen. Mistrust of functioning federal government and trust in Pizzagate. Mistrust in objective facts with timestamps, dates, and witnesses, and trust in Infowars, Alex Jones, and the hoax of the Sandy Hook. Killings. Climate change worsened, and we have done nothing with no plan to do anything. The highest number of mass shootings in America was this past year, and this past year, with four, over 400 mass shootings, any number over four people shot in this country, the most ever. Children died. So many children died that we could never get our act together on guns this decade. More children were put in cages, and now almost 20,000 children from Central America are spread out across this country in group homes, in, in, in Walmarts, in detention facilities, and lost, I believe, to sex trafficking, lost in this country within our borders. I don't know about you, but I wake up enraged and horrified almost every single day. The intricacies of this world-on-fire decade are guided by the machinery of late-stage capitalism. So what if we look back a little bit? What if we look back a 100 years when raw capitalism was both emerging and being embraced, but also being resisted. We can look back 100 years to 1919, to the end of the decade that Woodrow Wilson would say at Versailles was the world is on fire. He said that at Versailles. The world is on fire. In 1919, the social and cultural foundations of modern Europe and the United States that had been in place since the French Revolution seemed to be on the verge of collapse after the First Industrial World War. The whole intricate web of international relationships responsible for a century of peace in Europe had unraveled into war. They unraveled in the war, virtually guaranteeing that there was going to be a brutish struggle to come. And it did. In 2019, echoes of this era are heard with Brexit, threats to NATO, and the UN becoming a trivial relic of a bygone, nostalgic era where we had diplomacy and international dialogue. What a concept. In 1919, domestic policies in practically every single country were in constant uproar. The leading capitalist economies of Europe were in shambles, physically devastated, mired in debt, and spiritually bankrupt and demoralized. Normal social and political life seemed impossible. In 1919, the chaotic rhythms of The street took over the politics of resentment and revenge of scapegoating, conspiracy mongering, and through lynchings that had as many as 20,000 in attendance to see a charred, hanging black body. In 2019, we have televised weekly presidential white neo-nationalist rallies. Fermenting and coaxing a significant portion of this population to commit acts of violence against black, indigenous, people of color, women, the media, the judiciary, the FBI, and immigrants. Whoever thought that you would be cheering for the FBI the way we're cheering for the FBI today? (laughs) Whoever thought of that? In 1919 and 2019, that axiomatic faith in progress, reason, and liberal democracy that once seemed so unassailable was profoundly in doubt. In fact, in the last 10 years around the globe, what has appeared to be an exonerable march towards the eventual triumph of democracy no longer appears to be so. Read Madeleine Albright's Fascism, A Warning. Democracy appears more and more as a relatively fragile construction that needs our constant tending in order to survive. Now, I too have engaged in magical thinking that democracy is protected simply by the virtue of our founders who birthed it, that it's written down, that the parchments still exist. My favorite smell growing up in Philadelphia was to go on that field trip to Constitutional Hall and get those fake little parchments and just sniff them. It was the 70s, you know. <laughs> but I can I can't get lost in my grief, but I can sometimes. But I can't always continue to massage this dream of America. This American experiment. But I come to church today because with you and with Unitarian Universalism, we have options. We have a lot of options and I'm gonna have a little of my delicate teacup right here that someone poured for me today. This is so nice. Now think about it. If our faith is more than just a Sunday car ride to this building, for an hour, we have options, right? If our faith can be a counterbalance to our inclination to pull the covers over our head, we have options. Our fifth UU principle isn't so subtle. How many of you know the fifth principle? How many people know the first principle? Okay, fifth principle, anybody? Yes. What? Democracy. It's about democracy. Our fifth UU principle is not subtle. It directly states, and I repeat, UU congregations will affirm and promote the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in the society at large. Right there. We view the democratic process as a principle of faith. It's not new. Think about it. When Unitarians and Universalists merged in 1961, it was stated a different way, and I want you to hear this. UU congregations affirm, defend, and promote the supreme worth of every human personality, the dignity of man, and the use of the democratic method in human relationships. That was the original framing of that until they broke it into parts. Lifting democracy as one of our religious principles goes back even further. In the 1940s, Reverend A. Powell Davies Minister of All Souls Unitarian Church in D.C., successfully had the democratic method identified as a nationwide core value of our faith. And Apal Davies was in a position right there in the beltway to promote the faith across the country. A decade later, he still was expounding on democracy. In a sermon that he wrote in 1954, he says, Unitarianism is an inclusive, not an exclusive faith, based on individual freedom of belief, finding salvation not through someone else's martyrdom, but by education and the disciplines of democracy. He found democracy a saving force, not merely as a political system, but as the just approach to human relationships. Democracy can be a discipline, and sometimes it's a harsh one. But this is all part of its value, because for Reverend Davies, democracies was a spiritual imperative that you use cannot take lightly. We cannot take it lightly. Now, friends, we know democracy is not perfect. It never has been. Not in any decade has it been without acne and blemishes. Democracy needs to be defended and defended vigorously even when it's not working well. Even when it's not working well. That's what creates patriotism. Perhaps especially when it's not working well. Winston Churchill, who probably did as much to defend democracy in a really crisis moment as anyone ever had, said, and I love this quote, he says, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried from time to time. (laughs) Friends, we defend democracy not because its outcomes are always virtuous. We defend democracy because fascism authoritarianism, and chaos are daring us. They're all daring us. Like a bully on a playground, I feel like I'm being dared every day by fascism, authoritarianism, and chaos. The madness that we are living in right now and the madness that may continue with the re-election of this feckless brute as a president is daring us. They're daring us. The American oligarchs and the overlords and the manipulators and the grifters that are occupying our government at this time are daring us. They're daring the very notion of liberal democracy to claim its power. They're daring us to claim our power, to show our grit, and to punch back. These inhumane authoritarian nationalists are daring you and me to stand up like they did in Hong Kong. Did you see what they did in Hong Kong? They didn't win, but they stood up. They showed grit. They showed resolution. They showed power. They are daring us to overwhelm this country. They are daring us to overwhelm this country with mass strikes that shut everything down. They are daring us to protest in a manner that, where the protest does not end. They are daring us to create a people's media outlet that tells facts 24 hours a day. They are daring us to claim our license to prophesy that there will be a day when we will rise up and the good people of this country, which I believe are the majority of us, will take our proper place. I say, let's take that dare on. Let's take it on through hard and sustained work, through listening and compromising, through valuing every person, through overcoming the impulse towards tribalism, through defending our norms and values, and most of all, defending the rule of law. One of my heroes that I share a birthday with, Benjamin Franklin, (laughs) he was an amazing person. When he was exiting the Constitutional Convention, a writer came up to him and says, "Um, what kind of country will this new government have? What kind of government will this new country have? they were all excited. The emergence of order and a constitution for this new American experiment. And he said, very calmly, a republic, if you can keep it. So OK, boomers, <laughs> I'm serious. Okay, boomers, did you ever imagine that we would live through a time where we would be questioning the continuation of our democracy? No, no. Hell no. We never questioned that. Onward, upward, the trajectory of progress. Liberal democracy forever. Well, in closing, I want to share the words of an American civil rights activist. Her name is Valerie Kuar, and you can find her on a TED talk. And, uh, She is a Sikh, and her uncle was the first Sikh to die in a hate crime after 9-11. And she offers a guide that I think is useful for us as we attempt in this new year to live a spiritually vigorous form of revolutionary love to preserve our broken and beleaguered and beloved democracy. And she says, we love ourselves when we breathe through the fire of pain and refuse to let it harden into hate. That's why I believe that love must be practiced in three directions to be revolutionary. Loving just just ourselves feels good, but it's narcissism. Loving only opponents is self-loathing. Loving only others is ineffective. We need to practice all three forms of love. And so how do we practice it? She says, number one, in order to love others, see no stranger. We can train our eyes to look upon strangers on the street, on the subway, on the screen, and say in our minds, brother, sister, aunt uncle. And when we say this, what we are saying is, you are part of me, I I do not yet know. You are part of me, I do not yet know. I choose to wonder about you. I will listen to your stories and pick up a sword when you are in harm's way. And so number two, she says, is in order to love our opponents, tend the wound. Can you see the wound in the ones who hurt you? Can you wonder even about them? And if this question sends panic through your body, then your most revolutionary act is to wonder, listen, and respond to your own needs. Number three, she says, in order to love ourselves, breathe and push. When we are pushing into the fire, into our body of the fires in the world, we need to be breathing together. In order to be pushing together, how are you breathing each and every day? Who are you breathing with? Because when executive orders and news of violence hits our bodies every day hard, sometimes less than a minute apart, it feels like dying. So we have to breathe. In those moments, she says, my son places his hand on my cheek and says, dance time, mommy. Dance time, mommy. And we dance in the darkness. We breathe and we dance. Our family becomes a pocket of revolutionary love. Our joy is an act of moral resistance. How are you protecting joy each day? Because in joy, we see even darkness with new eyes. And so the mother in me asks, what if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? What if our future is not dead? but still waiting to be born." End quote. In preparing this sermon, I did a lot of thinking. And I found a a quote. We're doing a lot of cleaning out to get ready for this new baby. And I found some notes from 1975. And there are some notes from my father. And a dear friend of my father, I found out, he was, his name was mentioned in these notes. And a dear friend of my father was the first African-American federal appellate judge. Who knew? His name was William Hasty. So I looked him up, going down a rabbit hole instead of writing a sermon. <laughs> and he said something that just jumped out at me. The best quote about democracy ever, he says, democracy is becoming rather than being. It can easily be lost, but is never fully won. Its essence is eternal struggle. I'm going to read that again. Democracy is becoming rather than being. It can easily be lost, but is never fully won. Its essence is an eternal struggle. Friends, we can't pull the covers over our heads no matter what, no matter how bad things get in these coming 18 months. In this era of enormous rage, we need to see the fires burning around us and wonder What if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of our own womb? What if our democratic future is not dead, but still waiting to be born? What if this, our great transition, what if this is the moment of that great transition of a progressive era that we have not yet seen? Remember the wisdom of the midwife. Breathe she says. Breathe, she says. And then what? Push. Because if we don't push, if we don't breathe, we will surely die. Revolutionary love, friends, requires us to breathe and push through the fire with a warrior's heart and a saint's eye. In this coming year, let's make democracy a central part of our loving spiritual practice so let's get ready for it now tell me what democracy looks like show me what democracy looks like show me what democracy looks like we have No choice. Happy New Year. (laughs) We got work to do.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text first univ, that's F I R S T U N I V to 73256 to make your gift. If you're able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.